people think the show that comes at things from well I don't know you're compared to the rest of the comedy industry maybe from a slightly more conservative background you know but we seek to get to the heart of what most normal decent people are thinking about the big subjects of the week and I am back after a week off I still delivered an episode with Rachel Paris which the vast majority of you really enjoyed some of you said that it was a bit gentle well I can assure you that this week's show will not be Gentle, there is so much that's been pissing me off in the last week. Do you know what I mean? I almost had to break my... I almost had to come back. It's going up early, is the bottom line, for this episode. If you want a a sort of early gauge of how ranty I'm feeling, uh, this is going up on a Tuesday, okay? That is... I think that's a record. (laughs) That was how much... I promised my wife I wouldn't put up one last week, but literally by yesterday I was like, I'm doing it tomorrow, babe. Because, I mean, first up we had this thing yesterday on Monday, which is the head teacher... Uh, sort of telling adults not to use the word woke and basically you know just get behind the kids doesn't matter how sort of misinformed some of their apprehensions are about the problems in society just just support the kids that's all we need to do apparently we don't need to set them straight or maybe give uh, an alternative view to the ones that their teachers are suggesting to them no just just stop using the word woke and support the kids uh, I'm also going to mount a slight defence of the Tories here because I know that at the moment they're kind of getting a 24-7 kick in and in many cases it is deserves. But I think that the strategy of the government and obviously the health bodies on both Freedom Day and how we've managed our summer autumn peaks of COVID look like they might have worked. So we'll be discussing that and other political things of the day. And then, then an issue I want to look at is kind of um, um, fake liberals and this was this was um, sort of prompted by when you see a lot of people who would describe themselves as liberal that are kind of in favor um of uh of mandatory vaccinations you know so we've got this thing in austria and germany where the government are sort of saying well we're going to stick stuff in your arm and a lot of people who are supposed to be about you know live and let live man are going do it fucking do it hold them down (laughs) put one of those orange balls in their mouths video it stream it i want to see it I want to see it. We also um, we'll do a quick chat about the Yorkshire cricket thing, which was only really starting a couple of weeks ago. And so I haven't had, basically, I haven't had a chance to uh, spout off about some of that stuff. But before we do all that, uh, let's just do the cuss count. We've got a couple to catch up on. We had the episode with Adam Rowe. So basically, the cuss count is we're keeping track of the curve of the swearing. And it was 0.4 swears a minute, which is quite high for, uh, no, no, that's about, that's about actually about mid range for. Uh, a guest episode. Adam Rowe had 14 swears in his maiden episode there, so that's that's healthy. That puts him in the upper echelons of the, the cuss count leaderboard, which is kind of like top-tier star in a reasonably priced fucking car. And then we have Rachel Paris on, and David Domain, the esteemed patron David Domain, who compiles all the cuss count stats, he pointed out that I was on my best behaviour with Rachel. Just three, three fuckings for me, which is not point, get this, you're going to be asking for refunds. 0.05 swears a minute. Rachel did three swears. I just think that is that is just so far. Obviously, you're probably all thinking it. Oh, Jeff was being trying to be a gentleman with the lady Rachel. And maybe there was a degree of that, but Jesus Christ. I'm going to have to... Uh, my, my sponsors might start pulling out. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons that I do the Patreon only is because I don't want to have advertisers that might 
pull out if I say something out of order. I think with the patrons, there's a chance that they'll pull out if I don't say something out of order. So I guess we all have a different master of what is what I'm saying. Speaking of patrons, uh, bear in mind this is the way that we keep the podcast weekly and ad-free, crucially. Um, we have a few new ones. Oh, by the way, I had another, I had another advertiser come in. Uh, can we advertise on your podcast? No, you cannot advertise my podcast. I've got patrons, mate. Do you know what I mean? I'm off the fucking grid. Oh, speaking of being off the grid, right? I was in a River Island the other day buying some clothes. I'm doing a little TV thing tomorrow, which I'll be able to tell you more about next week. And um, and they said to me afterwards, they did that thing of saying, uh, uh, "Can we email you the receipt?" And I was like, "No, I'll take a I'll take a paper version." And just that simple act made me feel like I was off the grid. I bowled out of River Island, feeling like I was fucking Neo from the Matrix. No, you can't have my email address. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, if I thought that you would just email me the receipt, but you know what it'll be? It'll be, in a, it'll be a, Jeff, we haven't heard from you for a while here at River Island. Do you know what I mean? You know that weird thing they get where some kind of corporation starts speaking to you like a, like a sort of berating, like your family berating you. Jeff, what, what, what's going on? You've been a bit quiet there. If they really want to act like a family, they could then send you further emails saying, oh, you've put on weight, haven't you? You look a bit tired. Uh, we do have new patrons here. Uh, we've got a VIP patrons. So you guys, you get your shout out. Everyone gets a guaranteed shout out. The VIP patrons happen at the top of the show. And Chris Gowan, Chris Gowans, that is um, no wonder you're a VIP patron. That name, that name's got money written all over it. That name is dripping with money. Chris Gowans. Do you see? Oh my god! Do you see Chris Gowans' wedding? Oh my god, mate, he had three weddings. He had one at home, he had one in Barbados, and he had one on a fucking spaceship with Elon Musk, mate. Okay, we always also have a thank you and a fuck you before we start the main show. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the internet. You know, we always talk about the evils of social media and, you know, the lack of real contact that we have with people. But let's not forget how many things are easier now than they used to be. And I, I'll put it to you that getting your car tax used to be a ball ache on an epic level. Do you remember that would come round and you'd get the fear, wouldn't you? You'd get a reminder for your car tax. But you'd have to go to the post office to get it done. And I always, I can never remember which documents I needed, right? Insurance, what was it? MOT, I can't remember. Was there, I've, oh, there you go, I've forgotten it. I've forgotten it already. And then you'd have to go to like, the post office and you have to stand there with the old deers do you know what I mean just stand behind just smelling their mothballs as they <laughs> or some old deer trying to cash in her pension in pennies you know it was just it was just a stress now like it's so easy you get the reminder you go on put in a reference boss so like all I'm saying is don't let's not with all the ills of the internet let's just remember they became popular for, for a reason right I mean if you tried to get your passport renewed recently it's a piece of piss Back in the day, like it was spoken of in reverential and uh, grave tones, wasn't it? You got your passport done. Oh, you'd have to go to Petit France, mate. You have to spend a day up there. You have, <laughs> you have to, uh, you'd have to basically take one of those small tents that homeless people live in, and you will have to spend a week of your life there just to get a passport. Um, and the fuck you is to excessive enforcement. This is an ongoing theme of COVID stuff now. Obviously, you know, we have to be stay alert, wear the mask, save the NHS, save lives, clap, whatever. But there are some companies that do seem to be holding on to certain things, like with my vets. They do a great job and stuff, but I think up until very recently, we were still having to just pull up outside the vets and um, and ring them. And it, it did feel suspiciously like 
a drugs drop. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of handing over uh, a suitcase full of heroin, I'm basically handing over a small cockapoo. Waiting for a, a methadone prescription, right? That's what you feel like. You've got loads of dodgy blokes standing out there in big coats just waiting for someone to call out, double Savaloy with chips, and you feel judged. You're going, did I need to go double Savaloy? Probably not. Okay, let's look at this week's first subject, which is the head teacher of the girls' private school that said we've got to stop using the word woke. Okay, so this is Samantha Price, who is head teacher of a girls' school called Benenden. They've always got these super posh names, haven't they? Although Benenden turned out a lovely girl. Benenden in Kent. And she's basically, she's defended pupils called woke. She said it's wrong to dismiss young people uh, demanding change as snowflakes. Well, I don't even know if people are using, I don't even think that's the right context, love. I mean, you call yourself a head teacher, I think snowflake is about your reaction to something, isn't it? It's not, not just woke is something slightly different. And the headmistress added that it could, you know, using this word woke could lead to people giving up on equality campaigns. So the first thing I've got to say here is, do you remember when, like, I mean, we hear a lot from head teachers now, including head teachers from private schools. Do you remember when they just, uh, especially the private school ones, would just take the fucking 10 grand a term and shut the fuck up, you know, like just concentrate on just how about you teach the kids? I mean, I I do not have enough money to send my son to private school. I'm not, I don't know if I would, if I could, probably not. But if I did, the idea... The a head teacher, I mean, that would start lecturing you. I mean, it gives you an idea of how the cultural headwinds are blowing leftwards. That a head teacher of a private school is basically rebuking a whole generation for the use of a word. I tell you what, I tell you what, some other price. I'll use for ten grand a term. I'll use whatever word I want. I'll swear at a fucking parents even. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if if private heads have gone have gone super left. Maybe the game is just fucked. Maybe the game is done. I mean, the point is, the point that she's making, I, I slightly take issue with it, is being older doesn't mean that you automatically have to support young people in whatever um, idealistic crusade that they're on, right? It's like anything, isn't it? You hear them out and you decide whether or not you think they've got a fair point. It's not like an automatic, like that's our job, just to get behind them, you know, help them get up early in the morning, paint the banners, <laughs> write a note for them when they've bunked off school to go protesting with Greta, you know what I mean? Like, Or, or when, they've decided to, uh, when they've decided to boycott a class because a teacher used a word in historically, contextually accurate setting, but it was a bad word. They haven't heard that word said out loud by a human before and they shat themselves and decided to do a boycott. Is it, we got to support all of that. I don't think that's quite how it works. And also the word woke, I mean, it's true to say that it does get overly applied now. You know, some people just sort of use the word to describe stuff that they don't like or stuff that annoys them. But I think for me, it is it is a word that has meaning. And I think most people, most people would support the idea of a progressive social justice system where people of different colours, sexes, uh, sexualities, you know, that they are given greater equity. I'm now using the word of the movement. I think most people sort of go, yeah, yeah, we should be moving towards that. But what, what the thing with woke is to me, what it sees as the problems and what it sees as the solutions, the scale of that is way out, way out of whack with the, uh, the median view, if you get my drift, right? So if you ask a woke person, you know, what, how are we doing on 
racism and sexism and the climate, I'm pretty sure that they're going to go, well, it's all bad. It's all awful. It's irredeemably bad. It's more racist than it's ever been. It's more sexist than it's ever been. And the planet is going to come to a grinding halt in about seven weeks, right? So that's the point, is that woke is that maybe 5%, maybe even less, that, that, that sort of don't see any good in the world. And, and therefore, their solutions are obviously are often way more radical than people are ready for. You know, a great example is men can have babies. <laughs> you know, it's I think that... As I always say, we might we might get to that point. I think that that is quite a tough sell at this point. I think like if you're if you're looking for significant buy-in on that, you're gonna have to sit. You're gonna have to have a lot of conversations to get to that get to that point. And you know, teaching has become you know has become a well, it was always quite a lefty profession. In fairness, I remember when I was um, I remember when I was at school. You know, you had that odd radical lefty teacher that would be trying to sort of uh, indoctrinate you. Um, when I was a teacher, I remember once, I mean, you think stand-up comedy is quite left-wing. You try taking a copy of The Telegraph, you try taking a copy of The Telegraph in the staff room. Do you remember? I was a fucking pariah. You'd have thought that I would have gone in there wearing a rucksack that was ticking. But back to the, back to the point, I mean, I turned, I turned on the radio a few times last week. Every single time I turned on, it was, you know, it seemed to be the same debate. Sexism, well, racism, sexism. And climate change. And and the head teacher of the school, she also said that she said them in that order. And I thought it's interesting. They're often said racism. So these are the key focuses of what would be called social justice or, or, or the woke cause. Racism, sexism and climate change. And I thought there's, it's interesting that climate change came out as a third of those, you know, particularly as the fact that, well, I mean, if it is what they say it is, that's going to have a bigger impact on everyone's life, do you know what I mean? And also, if, if the planet is going to, you know, explode in a great big fireball, it's going to be people that live in very poor and non-white settings that, from what I'm reading, will bear the brunt of it. But that kind of tells you, you know, well, that's what they care about in order, racism, sexism and, and climate change. And in all those fears, we're sort of peddled the idea that it's it's bad and it's getting worse. And it, it's just sometimes hard to square, isn't it? Where you think, all right, yeah, I'm the straight white guy, of course, my life is fucking brilliant. Every day I get up, I high-five myself in the mirror and just congratulate myself on making the decision to be a straight white guy and how much that's paid off uh, in every way, right? Um, but I, I do think that sometimes this world that's represented to us, and I, I always say about social media, but in the media at large and the debates that they tend to have, is odds. It seems to be a bit odds with the world in reality. I mean, is is the world you know as as racist or as sexist as as we're told? I mean, I was going to talk about this later in the show, but it feels like a relevant point to mention it now. Is the Yorkshire Cricket Club uh, inquiry right? So I. I think I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but since then we had the testimony of uh, Azim Rafiq. And, you know, I went into it sort of thinking, well, it's one man's testimony and he's going to implicate, he's going to mention people and stuff and they have the right of reply. We don't necessarily, you know, this isn't just the gospel truth as it's laid down. But as he started speaking, I found him to be a credible witness essentially you know i mean that's what a lot of judge and jury is based on it's like i mean it's funny isn't it you think about all the technical elements of law you go does this fucker seem credible to you and certainly as he spoke it was moving i found him to be credible but i was also aware that it was just one man's testimony but it did seem a lot of that stuff with gary balance uh you know it was almost too specific to not be true do you know what i mean i remember there was um 
there was something with Donald Trump where there was an allegation made against him and uh, one of the female witnesses characterised his response and he just said something so weird. I remember thinking, yeah, he fucking... He did that. But then there were allegations made against Michael Vaughan, uh, which he contested, and also against Tim Bresnan. But I thought, okay, you know, we'll wait to to hear what they have to say. But it does seem that the, the, the press and cricket and everybody ran away with the idea that this was... Not just maybe something that was a particular problem at Yorkshire. There were obviously racism incidents that were reported from other clubs. But suddenly all of cricket was was racist, right? That, you know, sadly, it, does it surprise me that cricket has racism? No, because essentially you could ask the question, would you find racism in any workplace in Britain still in, you know, 2021? Sadly, yes, right? So would cricket have that? Yes, probably I would think it would. Is cricket worse than football? Maybe because of the sort of racial breakdown of those two sports. But is cricket any worse than any other workplaces? I, I, I don't know. But it was incredible that the wheels that were put into the motion of, on this one testimony. And I'm struggling between was it because what he said was so moving and seemed so credible? Um, or is it because racism and the reaction to it generates this fundamental fear in organisations? And it seemed to me that Azim Rafiq was was talking about three separate things. On the one hand, was this racist bullying that he underwent. On the other hand, was a kind of div just bullying in a in a more conventional sense. And the other, the third strand was the the frankly like completely heartless care that he got after the stillbirth of his son. But it seemed to all merge together as just this one thing that the the culture in cricket is is completely wrong. And a lot of the people implicated really didn't really have any right of reply. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens to their careers. Like I say, I found Azim Rafiq plausible, but I don't know if that's just the final court of arbitration when you're talking about other people's reputations and careers. And of course, there were other skeletons in his closet when it transpired later on that he had uh, sent you know, um, uh, anti-Semitic messages. And I was on any questions uh, recently uh, last Friday, and we were all talking about the Azim Rafiq testimony, and you know, and I acknowledged that it had been a moving thing and a, an important thing, but we st- we sort of seemed to be holding him up as a kind of um, flawless kind of uh, spokesperson for c- for c- a civil rights movement. I was like, well, let's not do that thing that we always do, where anti-Semitism just gets treated like the kind of diet racism. So you know, I mentioned that, and then of course I get messages saying, oh, you're just trying to um, you're just trying to ignore Rafiq's testimony. I'm like, no, I, I think that. He said that stuff when he was 19. But the problem is, is look, Ollie Robinson's tweets from earlier in the year were also said when he was 19. Now, personally, I think that the things that 19-year-old boys say and do should be treated within context. But if you're going to basically suspend Ollie Robinson from all cricket, then you have to apply consistency to the things that Azim Rafiq has said at the same age. Otherwise, why would you, why would you not give um, the Jewish community equitable treatment? You know, there is a a schism, I think, between how people treat each other in everyday life and how it's presented on social media. Now, when you talk about historical things, obviously there was awful stuff that happened in the past. But I just, I'm not saying, this is the point here, before anybody jumps at me, I'm not saying that there aren't big problems. But what I'm asking is, are the problems anything like the way that they're represented on social media. And if, and if they're not, right, and if you look at the, the view that we have of these core woke issues of racism, sexism and climate change, is there a chance that we are, that we are, um, fucking, I'm only pulling all the arguments together here. I'm going to have another sip of my coffee here. Hang on. 
and winding up for the big hit to the fence. Is the reason that we don't just indulge kids for their woke campaigning because it is based on an inflation and a disproportionate sense of the problem. Not that there isn't a problem, but they've been spoon-fed the idea that it's a lot worse than it is. So you know what, Samantha Price, how about you have the 10 grand and we as a society and parents will decide which fucking words we use. Okay, there was your boy Jeff there, just uh, your boy, that doesn't work for me, does it? Just tiptoeing through a fucking minefield of subjects. Um, just going to do a quick hype here. Well, but before that, we've got some more new patrons. Peter Russell, never trust a man with two first names. Apparently, you're not supposed to play poker against him. Don't play poker against old Peter, Peter Russell there. Peter and his brother Jack. Please tell me your brother's called Jack. Douglas Mowat. What a weird surname, Mowat. I don't know if you're married, Douglas, but I bet, I hope for your sake that your wife didn't have a nice, pretty surname and then she had to become a Mowat. Because <laughs> the thing with surnames, you don't, you just don't want to spend too long explaining them. Mowat. What's the sort? What's that? Mowat. Ma- Mow- Mowams? What are you, a fucking candy? What, candy? Mowat. Mowat. With the Mowats. Uh, Andrew Ballingall. The Ballingall. Is this, is this weird surname week? Uh, Andrew Ballingall. Ballingall is quite posh, isn't it? Yeah, the, we are the Hampshire Ballingalls. Yes, we are. I bet your family send out one of those mass photos, don't they, with a big family picture. You know, a lot of people wearing wax jackets. Am I close, Andrew Ballingall? Uh, Lee Ferrance. Lee Ferrance just sounds like... Uh, Lee Ferrance sounds like he was one of those kind of wise guy actors like Ray Liotta, but he never quite made it, you know? He had a, he had a walk-on part in Goodfellas. Lee Ferrance. He now runs a bar in Phoenix. Um, what was that, Jeff? Did you run out of comic juice and that? Uh, yeah, maybe I did. Maybe what you you bring some fucking comic juice. John Butterfield. John Butterfield. I mean, it's such a lovely surname, isn't it? It'd be great, John Butterfield, if you were an absolute fucking wrong one, wouldn't it? John Butterfield. It'd be one of those ones that if John Butterfield was ever a, a serial killer, you know, I mean, you say, fuck it, what's that about? You've seen that story about that awful pitchfork guy who, who, who you know, who got let out. And surprise, surprise, turns out he's still a fucking wrong one. So he's been sent straight back to prison. I mean, for one, at least his surname was a red flag, pitchfork. Yeah, sounds like a serial killer. And when I've realised now I'm, I'm essentially insinuating one of my VIPs, one of my patrons is a, a serial killer. I don't, I'm not saying you're that, John Butterfield, but maybe a little bit of white collar fraud. <laughs> a little bit of Bernie Madoff style action. All right, let's hype uh, the tour shows for next year. We're selling, we're selling nice. It's ticking over. The Leadmill, it's a big room there. Leadmill in Sheffield, 10th of February. The Grange Theatre on the 11th of February. Northwich, who's coming to the Grange? Where is Northwich? North of which? Is there just a witch? Um, 11th of March, Taunton Brewhouse. Come on. My only previous experience in Taunton was staying in the world's saddest travelodge. So I'm really hoping that we can we can up that experience. Maybe it's this cool bohemian place I'm not aware of. The following night, the Quad Theatre uh, in Plymouth. I've been back to Plymouth for a while. You're right, mate. Fucking what was that weird accent I got down Plymouth where it's like got a slight fucking city edge to it. All right, mate. You've been down the hoe, mate. Been been down the hoe. A lot of fucking smackheads up there, mate. The 19th of March, we're at the Floral Pavilion, which is in New Brighton, which is in the northwest. Okay, and we might need to just change this on the listings to say up north. Brighton because everyone just seems to think I'm now doing two dates in Brighton the floor I mean it sounds it doesn't sound northern does it the floral pavilion new Brighton the floral pavilion new Brighton it sounds like something a northerner would say with contempt 
Saturday the 26th of March, Lincoln Performing Arts Centre. Who's coming to Lincoln? Okay. So uh, I, I know, you know, I was just thinking there. I know where the best KFC is on the road to Lincoln. Um, now I'm salivating because I'm thinking of KFC. Uh, the 1st of Friday, I'm back in Worthing. And then the following night, 2nd of April, the new Theatre Royal, Portsmouth. A big one, that. Getting on for 700. It'd be good to see as many of you there as possible. And speaking of big ones, uh, my first ever day at the Ipswich Corn Exchange. I mean, God, Jesus, where would comedy have been if we if we didn't, we weren't exchanging corn like 400 years ago? Do you know what I mean? What, I just, uh, maybe they just said... You know, look, what we do now, we, look, we're exchanging corn this week, but really the long game here is for small to medium-sized touring comedy shows. All right, let's do another massively edgy take here. So the government have been uh, getting a lot of stick recently. A lot of it deserved, a lot of it deserved. I mean, scrutiny on second jobs. I would just say, you know, second, second jobs thing. I'm happy for MPs to have second jobs. I don't mind if it's in the private sector. I mean, we all seem to be quite... We all seem to be quite happy about it when Kate Bingham was securing all the, the vaccines before the French, right? We didn't mind the old private sector back then. But I think maybe t- the amount of time that they spend on it uh, is an issue, right? Um, and I don't think you should be limited by earnings. There was a couple of Labour politicians that said, oh, it should be a maximum of a grand an hour. Or, or, you know, an hour would be good or a day. It just, it just sounds fucking petty. It sounds like you're anti-wealth creation. Just limit it by time. And least, at least that's the same um for everybody but jeffrey cox i mean he's a weird guy he really came out swinging with some big dick energy as the kids call it because everyone called him out and he just went well he didn't know his pure mufasa i did what i did and of course the people of Totnes will decide at the next election basically fuck you yeah i sat on the beach bitch i said <laughs> you're just angry because you didn't do it motherfucker um so he, yeah, he, he didn't seem that apologetic. He didn't seem that apologetic. But they must have known that it was going to play out badly uh, for the Tories. I mean, it, it was a mess of their own making with the suspension of, what's his name now? I've forgotten the geezer's name. Andrew Bridgson Newhouse III. I don't know. Owen Patterson, that's the one. They should have just let that suspension happen. But as is often the case recently with the Tories, if some, you know, someone held out that fist... They just put their chin on it, right? That's what they've been doing for a while. It doesn't really make much sense. But you have to dissociate some of that criticism with some of the Boris obfuscation. My God, he said menagerie earlier. Now he's gone obfuscation. Is this a bet, Jeff? Um, So we had this speech that he did the other day where he used Peppa Pig as a a kind of coda for an idyllic version of Britain, you know, with the the community spirit and the the fucking the vets. I I don't know. He's just talking shit, isn't he? I mean, like, first up, how can you how can you say that? And this was based on going to Peppa Pig World, which is at Portland's theme park in um, in near Portsmouth, right? But um, yeah, if you're going to mention all that, Boris, and not mention the experience of Grandpa Pig's Lazy River, there's no obvious direction to the queuing. It gets tense. It goes round a bend. You see people cutting in who've just got their coffees. <laughs> how angry do you get? When you see people cut, when you've got a screaming kid who's just holding onto your leg, you know, you know that thing that kids do where they think, "All right, I'm bored." I think, I think the best thing I best do is just take, uh, check the tensile strength of my parents' limbs. I'll just hang off their leg. I'll tell you what, why don't I just pull down on their hand for some fucking weird evolutionary reason that no one's ever explained. But the thing with Boris, right? is if he does something seem stupid, there's probably something that he doesn't want you to talk about. So, like, when he went for that jog and he was wearing, like, shirt... 
<laughs> just like shorts. I mean, this is the problem with Minute. You laugh when you think about him. He does make me laugh. I am, I think he's not a great politician, but I am fond of him. Have I just lost subscribers there? I'm just, this is the point. I just try and be as honest as I can. There is a part of me that when he starts acting like a dick, that sort of indulges it somewhere in my brain, all right? And I'm not proud of that bit, but I suspect, and we talk about what most people think, that that is, if you want a clue to the mystery of Boris Johnson's appeal with the British public, is that you feel something. You go, <laughs> what is he like? Whereas Keir Starmer, you go, oh, I know what he's like, he's fucking boring. Um, so basically, just to finish that sentiment was about Boris going running in that weird shirt. And if you want to look like a mad bastard, the only, you know, is go running in shorts and just a pressed white shirt. The only way, you, the only other more mental look than that is man with t-shirt on and no pants. That always, to me, is like someone that escaped halfway through a lobotomy. But going back to Starmer, I mean, so if Boris is the Peppa Pig guy, Starmer was also given a speech to the CBI, which was, you know, as you'd expect, competent. And he said, the only Fs that we'll be talking about are, and he named some really boring Fs. And then he said fiduciary duty, which even to people that know about finance were going, why the fuck has he mentioned that? It's something to do with trustees and bonds and fucking guilt. I, I don't know. But you just think, like, is there's got to be some middle ground between the Peppa Big guy and the fiduciary duty guy? I mean, they're just... He's, he, and don't, like, I, I mentioned that on Twitter and then someone goes, yeah, there was last last election. He was called Jeremy Corbyn. Please, this this evolving idea that if somehow we'd have elected Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, that we would now be easing up to our second anniversary of competent and enlightened government. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it for one second. But you also, you know, have to accept that but, I mean, think of the stuff Corbyn would have messed up. I mean, if, if anybody wants to know what kind of bloke he is, have a look at the Vice documentary about him that's online. He's very, he's not, he's not bright, is he? Whereas, but, no, Corbyn was a not bright guy trying to seem intelligent, whereas Boris, I think, is intelligent and does everything in his power to seem stupid. However, that speech he gave, that bit where he was fluffing his lines and shuffling his papers, if he, if that was done as a bit of smoke and mirrors to get coverage because he didn't want you to think about the social care bill, then he is he's a better actor than fucking Daniel Day-Lewis. But this is the thing that you have to give credit for to the Conservatives at the moment, right? They've gone down in the polls, as you'd expect, and deservedly so for some of the recent disasters. But when we had Freedom Day, there were a lot of people, including the old fucking, you know, the diet, what, what was it, Diet Sage, that were saying that this is a dangerous an unethical experiment as we unlocked fully in July, right? And they tried to make it sound like some sort of eugenics -y thing, you know. That's what they were trying <laughs> Dangerous and unethical, you know. This is like some sort of Nazi eugenics. And what we had then was we had an initial fall in numbers, but then we've had a rise, then a fall, and then a little bit of a rise. But what it seems like is we have spread our COVID numbers across a greater period of time. So hospitalizations remain stable everything's been pretty stable right so if this carries on like this and it's a big if then the government have, have played you know obviously i mean if you're a lefty you'll go it's not the government it's public health all right all right okay so whenever it's bad it's the government and whenever it's good it's the nhs i get it but to me it, you know collectively they've set on a strategy here which you know we seem to be doing better than the germans at the moment okay that, yeah, they might have the penalty shootouts. Yes, they might have lower COVID numbers overall. But right now, 
We're smashing them on the graphs, mate. Let's just enjoy it while it lasts. It probably won't last. And if it carries on, bit by bit, once we see news stories about the kind of um, uh, lockdowns and, you know, kind of draconian measures the rest of Europe is bringing in, this will feed through. People will think, well, they've done a good job here. You know, they've done a good job in this situation. The vaccine rollout was a belter, right? The booster rollout is ramping up. And then, you know, that's what I say, the big, big things landed. Furlough, for example. People still haven't got their heads around the fact that that was a lot more generous than people thought it would have been. I mean, the fact that for a long time it was 100%. (laughs) Everyone was like looking at each other going, 100%? Fuck, you know. I mean, you'd have thought they might knock off five for travel. But... You know, they won't, they won't. And then when the polls go back up, they'll be like, what? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't get it. Well, it's just, uh, I'll just share some more James O'Brien. That'll, that'll swing it back. And you go, well, no, it's, yeah, there's been loads of, loads of the small to medium range stuff that the Tories have fucked up. But some of the big things that have landed have really challenged the narratives about them, i.e. they paid loads of money for people that weren't working, i.e. that they've, uh, seem to have prioritised the NHS. In some cases, let the NHS dictate, dictate terms on lockdowns, right? Mm-hmm. They got the vaccine rollout right. They might have got the whole roadmap to unlocking right. These are big, big things. So it might not be that you think that that justifies them being ahead in the polls, but don't, don't be surprised if their polling does recover. And especially if we don't have to, you know, engage in some of the more authoritarian measures on COVID that are being taken in the likes of Austria and Germany. I mean, you know, when you mention authoritarian and Austria and Germany, historically, it's not a great... <laughs> but let's talk about that now. What most people okay, so we've got uh, a couple of countries. You know, these are big, advanced economies, like Austria and Germany. Germany, the old Germans. <laughs> they are, you know, the Austrians have already... Well, they're bringing in compulsory vaccinations... And the Germans are talking about doing the same. You know, we've got lockdowns for the unvaccinated. And what, what you often have here, in, and, and this is what's been interesting about COVID, is you have people that sort of identify as liberal, have, have always identified, would always call themselves liberal, because we all know liberal is a good word, isn't it? You know, in, in America, it's used as an insult. But here, it never really got to that point. Liberal is a nice word. It's a, it's a fluffy word. It's like the word warm. Is there any, any ever bad context for something being warm? Maybe a dog shit in your pocket. I mean, like, obviously, in a poopy, poopy bag. Did I just say poopy bag? That's not really a very macho word, is it? But, yeah, these people now, you know, a lot of them are in favour of this mandatory stuff, this really heavy-handed state stuff, whether you go right from the scale of vaccine passports. My position is, is I'm always a compromiser, right? I don't think it should be only vaccines. If the position is either nothing at all or you have to have had the vaccine, can we not give an option for having done lateral flow tests, right? That is still a big, big deal to me, but I'm naturally on COVID, I'm quite conciliatory. But then you go up to people being not allowed to do their jobs, then you go through the gears of like uh, locking down the the unvaccinated. I mean, which just, which just sounds like, you know, for a film from the producer of 28 Days Later, The Unvaccinated, this year, will you take your life into your own hands? By sitting on a bus next to someone who hasn't had the AstraZeneca, the unvaccinated. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a dark word, isn't it? And then you go right up to, yeah, no, we're actually going to fucking hold you down and stick the needle in your arm. I, look, obviously, that's not the way that they're going to do it. So firstly, I do struggle to see how this is going to work in practice. I mean, geez, at my school, uh, when we had our BCG, there was the, the hardest lad in the year tried to get 
another kid to stand in for him. Now, in the end, obviously there was a verification process and the teacher kind of recognised that it just wasn't that person. And also the hard lad had showed himself to be not that hard because he was afraid of needles. But um, I'm afraid of needles. I don't know why I said it. Who's not afraid? Do you know what the worst thing about needles is, right? I'm sort of trigger, trigger warning, guys. Okay, trigger warning. It's not, it's not the small bit of pain. It's when they just squirt shit. <laughs> shit. They do a little jizz of stuff <laughs> into your... You're like, what the fuck? That is not how this works, okay? I mean, it might be different for women, but I'm a man. I don't get stuff go into me, okay? Stuff comes out. But anyway, so our school, there were people that were trying to work around that, should we say, creatively. So God knows what will happen uh, at a societal level in terms of the way that can be frauded or, or worked around. But you, you, again, you get these people that say that they're liberal, that are in favour of these things. And I know that there are no immediate plans to do that in the UK, but let's be honest, now that there are precedents in similar countries of similar sizes like Germany, if the numbers go up, who knows? And you get these liberals, these... You know, these diet liberals. But they'll go, oh, you know, I'm in favour of... G-. All the things that would constitute a liberal democracy, right? Due process. No, I'm afraid, I'm in favour of due process. And then you get something like the Carl Rittenhouse case where they then go, ah, oh, he's white, he looks racist, uh, guilty. And you go, well, look, I am not going to give a view on what I think about the Carl Rittenhouse case because guess what? I don't know fuck all about American justice. I don't know. I don't know whether that was the right decision, but I would imagine that uh, a jury that sat through the whole case might, you know, and be American and have been steeped in that judicial culture might have more insight than me. Then you get the rule of law, right? You get people say, you know, you have to have the rule of law in a democracy. And then a protest happens, whether it be BLM or uh, Extinction Rebellion, you know, a protest that they have empathy for. And they're like, look, you have to let people break the law for social change. You go, there's no... There's no consistency in your view, is there? You know, oh, look, oh, you have to, when it comes to Trump trying to overturn the election, you, know, you have to enact votes. You're going, yeah, I seem to remember a fairly big vote a little while ago that you think that we just got wrong and should be taken away. And then, you know, you get to this issue where a lot of people would say, you know, my body, my choice. And then it turns out that there's a very silent asterisk on that, which is, you know, my body, my choice, unless numbers are on the up and I want to be able to go skiing next spring and... The presenters on GMBC broadly sympathetic for whatever fucking reason to the idea of the most stringent. Have you noticed that? How breakfast presenters in all spheres are just very on board with the most stringent COVID relations. And so, mate, you just don't get to call yourself any liberal anymore, you know? You ain't no liberal, bruv, is what I'm saying. And I mean, I'm a a fucking liberal, but mainly because I just don't want anyone messing with my shit. That's it's selfishness. I, I won't lie. It's not philosophical. It's my hope is okay. You do your shit, and I have faith in myself and my decision making process. And let's see where we get. Or let's just have the state basically dictate everything and coerce everyone into everything. And then bit by bit, I mean, I've gone full on. I've gone off the fucking deep end here. Bit by bit, through evolution, we'll eventually forget the capacity to make decisions for ourselves, and we'll all. Be fitted with microchips. Are you going to say microchips? No, you said microchips. Anyway, where's my tinfoil hat? Right, we've just got one letter this week. Uh, <laughs> the letters next week will probably be like, you okay, Jeff? You okay, hun? Okay, this one letter we got this week is from Aaron in Finchley. I think it's a good one. It's a hypothetical fight, but they're not politicians this time. He said, Jeff, who would win in a fight 
between James Remo Bryan, you know, we haven't quite nailed the pun there, but I see what you're trying to do, and Iron Concrete Mike from Talk Talk Radio. Okay, so James O'Brien from LBC, Iron Mike. So obviously they're at different ends of the kind of culture war. James O'Brien, arch remainer, you know, with his viral clips. Loves a viral clip, doesn't he? And Iron Mike, who uh, speaks up for the more sort of conservative, the other side of the culture war. Well, first up, James O'Brien is the younger man. Iron Mike. The thing about these Remainers, I always say this, right? These hard militant rejoin type revoke Remainers. I'm not talking about your rank and file. They're angry. They're really angry. They're angry. And like, they're angry that they've been made angry because they wanted to spend their whole life thinking they were super chill, you know? But they, they are angry. They are angry. And Iron Mike, he's an older man. He's like maybe not as in good shape as James O'Brien. Uh, I think, I think, God, you're not going to like this, listen. I think James O'Brien might take this, but just because of age. And, and he might be more nimble, you know, or 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 maybe maybe I Mike would just bring out the club hand, you know what I mean? Those, you know, you see in a fight sometimes somebody just brings out that weird, doesn't look like a punch, but he just clubs someone and disorients them, you know, or or maybe the problem be that James O'Brien couldn't win the fight with logic. Maybe that'd be the problem. He just he's so used to winning arguments with logic, it would just start to scramble his head, and then maybe I Mike pulls a really a real low blow, like just pulls his pubes. <laughs> you know, one of those real cheap shot things, punching the balls, pulls his pubes, and it bites off a bit of ear. And it's just, it's an, it's called a no contest by disqualification. Okay, that is pretty much the end of this week's show. We just have the reviews to do. Um, this is from Trissy Boy. Love this podcast so much. Trissy Boy, he's going to have a voice like this, isn't it? Love this podcast so much, I have to listen to it every week. It's refreshing to have a podcast out there that stands up for the sensible right-leaning chap. Regularly has great guests. Two things, come and play at Seven Oaks Stag. Secondly, I bet you're named after Jeff from Rainbow. Cheeky. Uh, this is from Paulu. Absolutely love this podcast. Would definitely recommend. Great to hear some sanity in a world full of crazy. His book is also excellent. Keep it up, lad. Oh, it's from Laura King. This is from Renewable44. Oh, sorry, Ian, rather. Thank you for a great podcast. Help me stay stained whilst walking my son. Well, yeah, I mean, walking the sun became a thing during lockdown, didn't it? Uh, this is from um, Graham Wilkes. Okay, this is uh, quite a long review, so I'll just read a bit of it. This is, he saw me in Leeds. Oh, he says he's not a Yorkshireman, so you can drop the boycott impression. I'm going to do it. Just seen Jeff in Leeds for the second time. Another excellent gig, and even his socialist warm-up act was good. This is from Moon Monkey. Uh, very likeable bloke. I was a Labour voter, but not anymore, and I really don't like the Tories or Mr Johnson, so where the hell does that leave me? Fucking... SDP, maybe? Uh, anyway, that aside, give the pod a listen. You might be shocked by how much this fellow says that you agree with. Oh, this is lovely. There's so many good reviews here. This is from Deadly Lionfish. I can't believe 2,000 of you don't listen to the episode without guests. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a solo episode. Right now, there'll be 2,000 people that don't listen to this. This is from Dave Lakeland. Uh, Dave Lakeland says, I've binged on every episode for the last 18 months and bought and read the brilliant book and saw him on tour at the Manchester Academy. I even met him briefly before the show. Hope he didn't mind me introducing myself when he was a bit flustered. Walking up, I was fucking flustered. My wife is also now a big fan following the show. Even if she did ask, who was that when we were walking up the stairs? That's always the, uh, <laughs> that's always the way that you want to 
be connecting with your fans. Not even recognised at my own tour show. But, you know, it's fine. It's because I'm a man of the people. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be recognised. That's that's my thing, you know. This this look is a disguise. Yeah, that's why I was at River Island. I, I don't want to be one of these funky comics. Do you know what I mean? Look, basically what I'm saying is I wish I was more recognised. Oh, 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 oh.